So, what's the point? <laughs> so, what a great way to start it. What's the point? You know, when I started thinking about, uh, today we're going to be talking about actually the Great Commission, but what's the point of life? Like, what's the, what's the point of all of this? Most of you by now know that and have discovered that life is pretty tough, right? It's tough. Life is hard. It is, it's difficult. It's hurtful. Life is disappointing. It can be discouraging. And if we're honest, just at times, it just downright sucks, doesn't it? I mean, can anybody testify that sometimes you just wonder, what's the point of it all? Can anybody hear? What's the point of it all? Just only Okay, so the, for the six of you that raised your hands, this sermon's for you. Everybody else, uh, you know, follows Facebook. You know, I mean, I mean, seriously, though, there's so many times, it's like, what's the point? Right? What's the point of all of this? When you get down, you find yourself in a rut, you find yourself in a ditch, you, you find you, you have no money, you can't pay your bills, you, 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 you find this situation, this happens, somebody gets sick, somebody gets hurt, and you're like, what's the point? If you've ever asked that question, then this sermon's for you. Because I'm going to share with you today what that point is. King Solomon wrote a, a, the book of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote this at the very end of his life. And at the end of his life, he looked back over his life. And this is what he had to say. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly Meaningless. That's what he's saying about life. He's like, life is meaningless. That's exactly what he's sharing. That's how he felt. When he wrote this, he was being honest. Isn't it nice to be able to be honest? When life sucks, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm not okay. It's okay to not be okay. Sermon for another time. So <laughs> he says, everything is meaningless. What do people gain? I want you to think about this. All of you who are, are working hard, what do you gain from all your labor which you toil under the sun? What do you really gain from all of that? You pay all your bills just to keep your bills on, to keep your electricity on, to keep the house over your head, just to do it all again the next month, right? <laughs> so generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. There they return again. All things, listen to them, all things are wearisome more than one can say. Anybody, can anybody testify that they've felt the same at least one time in their life? Okay, now more of you are involved. Thank you. Now remember that King Solomon wrote this at the end of his life in chapter 2 of the same sermon, really. He writes in chapter 2, verse 17, So I hated life. I want you to think about it. A lot of times we don't, I, I, well, I better, don't get ahead of myself. Okay, so. Good, good call. All right, so, so I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a mere chasing after the wind. So what he felt like, he said, man, life is meaningless because all I feel like I'm doing is chasing my tail. All I feel like in life is I'm chasing after the wind. I can't catch it. I can't catch up. I can't catch a break. That's what he's saying. That he, This is how he felt about his life. So I hated it. That's what he says. So I hated life. Now, maybe you don't know much about King Solomon, but he was the richest king. 
He didn't have money problems. None. Zero. No, no money problems. Now, you know, I don't, I, this could be a bad or, or a good thing, but he had a thousand concubines. The concubine was basically a woman that was devoted to him, but he didn't have to marry her. He had a thousand. A thousand concubines. He could go on a date with a different girl every night of the week for three years and then repeat. Now, I don't think that that was probably really all for his benefit there, but the reality is this, is that he didn't have women problems. Well, okay, he had about a thousand women problems. Maybe that's, now, never mind. Sermon's over, we know what the, no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, don't stone me. I'm kidding. But, so, <laughs> oh, I'm going to be on the couch tonight. So, that's why you invest. Men, you invest in a real good couch, all right? A real good couch. Hi, honey, I love you. So, but I want you to understand is that he, he, he was famous. He was loved by the people. He, they enjoyed a time of peace. They weren't at war like his father. He got to build the temple of God. He was known for his amazing wisdom. Everybody from all around came to see King Solomon. And yet he still hated life. And you had to begin to ask this question, why did he hate life when he had it all? Because most of us sit here and say, man, if I could just get this raise, then I'll be happy. If we could just get that loan, if we could just get this car, if I could just get that job. And what we start doing is we fill in the blank of, if I could just get. But the reality is, at the end of that, when you get what you thought you wanted, it still didn't change. Because the bottom line is, you're still building your own kingdom. As long as you spend your life building your own kingdom, you will never truly enjoy life. Wow, only. Okay, we're going to try that again. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, if Jesus came, which we know he did, but if Jesus came to save the world, then why doesn't it feel saved? I mean, let, can, can we be honest, right? This is where we're supposed to be honest. How often do we look around and, and you know, we're living in a Sodom Gomorrah, everybody. I mean, we're, you, you look around and, and I, the world's not getting better. It's getting worse. Every day you wake up, you look at the news and something else so stupid, you're like, how in the world do we do that? How in the world do you allow a man to swim in a woman's league? That's not hard to figure that out. You know what, this morning I woke up and I was driving out the drive and I look out in the field and one of my sheep had a new little baby lamb. I'm like, really awesome. You know how simple this is? I'm like, well, I wonder if, I wonder if my, my sheep had a boy or a girl. You know how easy? I got off out of my truck, climbed over the fence, didn't rip my jeans or anything, got over to the lamb and I leaned down and I petted a little bit and I lift up the tail. Ha, it's a girl. That's... That's simple. Anyone can do that. Lift up the tail. But apparently our colleges can't even do that. We don't want to be real. <laughs> this isn't the church you're going to like. Sometimes I have to remind everyone. I'm, the, I'm not, the, not the youth pastor either. <laughs> this is normal. So if you're, you're visiting, this is, this is as good as it gets. So... Um, but, you know, I look at our world and the world, the direction that the world's going on, it's not getting better. 
So then you have to start thinking of, well, if Jesus came to save the world, why isn't it getting better? Maybe, maybe, maybe everyone's misunderstood, or a lot of people, maybe we've misunderstood the purpose of his death and resurrection. You know, I can tell you this, the disciples did. I want to show you this passage in Luke 24. The disciples, after Jesus had died and they hadn't all seen him yet in the resurrection, and they're all confused about everything going on. They're walking down the road, and they're actually talking to Jesus. They don't realize it. And, 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 and so he said, what are you talking about? And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. <laughs> Wrong. Right? He was more than a prophet. He's the Messiah. So they got that part wrong. This is his disciples talking. Mighty indeed in word before God and the people, how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. We were hoping, listen to this, we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Redeem who? Israel? That's what you were thinking? See, they missed the whole point of his death. They missed the whole point of the resurrection. It wasn't for Israel. It was for the world. Sometimes our minds get so fixated on the small picture, we miss the big picture. The disciples did. So then what was the purpose of his death on the cross? It was to redeem us. It was to pay a debt that you and I couldn't pay. It was to become a blood atonement. I want to show you some scriptures. It was to become a blood atonement. Now listen to this. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, this is where all the laws were written out. And so when people would sin, something had to die because of your sin. Something had to shed its lifeblood so that you could be right with God. That was set up in the book of Leviticus or in the Old Testament. And here's what it says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. This is Old Testament law. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. But now look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it begins to say, according to the law, that's the Old Testament we just read, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding the blood there is no remission of... All right, a remission of sins. I hope that nobody, uh... there we go. It's like, we start seizing. The next passage in Hebrews 9.28 says this, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Wow. Hold on a second. He's going to appear a second time apart from sin for what purpose is he coming back? For salvation. That's a key that almost every one of us in this room have missed. Something that we have walked through and thought and probably have had it wrong. I'm going to show you this. Christ died on the cross to pay a payment demanded of our sins. I'm not saved from my sin. That's not the point. I need forgiveness from my sins so that I can be saved. I'm not saved from sin. I'm saved from hell. 
He's coming back to save us. See, the thing is that we want to be saved from our sin. And that's all about your life here and now. I just want to be saved from alcoholism. I want to be saved from drugs. I want to be saved from this. I want... No, you want to be saved from hell. That's what you want to be saved from. He paid for your sin. The payment has already been paid. Salvation is about the life to come. So the purpose of his resurrection from the dead is literally to defeat death. To defeat death. Jesus had already defeated sin on the cross. Raising from the dead was all about defeating death. How cool is that, right? See, the cross and the empty tomb, the resurrection, this, they're both equally amazing and powerful and needed. The cross was to pay for the sin. The resurrection was so that eternal life could come. Now, Jesus had already defeated sin with this perfect blood atonement. Now, Jesus must defeat death. Now, Listen to this. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Come on now. Right? If, he was, if, his, if his body had not really raised, if he didn't raise from the dead and he's just they took his body somewhere else, we're wasting our time. And by the looks of it, we don't think we're wasting our time. Pretty exciting, right? Like, we know we're not wasting our time. We know what we're here for. And in the same 1 Corinthians 15, the same one, he comes back and he says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow. Guys, (laughs) we're living in end times. Because death has been defeated. Jesus defeated it. That's what the resurrection was all about. So here's the thing. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are sealed with his spirit, some of you came forward last week and received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And what this means is the moment death grabs onto you and you take your last breath, he can't hold you. See, that's what's the most amazing and powerful thing to think about. What Jesus did on the cross, the moment death grabs you, he can't hold you. He's not powerful enough because he's been defeated. So when you have a loved one that takes their last breath and they know Jesus, death just lost. They lost. So here's the deal. This is big. Jesus didn't die for your better life now. I'm going to say that again. I don't think we heard it. Jesus didn't die for your better life now. He died for your eternal life later. We live in this world where we have this watered-down gospel being preached all over the United States that talks about having your best life now and trying to make this prosperity gospel something that's real. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have some trouble So if you're trying to find a savior to get you out of a troubled life here, you don't know the right one. He says, it's not about here and now. It's about the one to come. He did all of his work for eternal life, not for this temporary life. 
until we get our heads wrapped around that concept, we're going to keep chasing after temporary kingdoms built here on earth. Just for a moment, listen to that. Is that not the coolest thing ever? I'm like, when you can hear the water hitting that tin, man, if we would have covered all that up and hit it, we wouldn't be hearing that. That is amazing. I love that. That was my squirrel moment. You're welcome. So I, I don't know. So anyways, I'm like, that is just cool. That is cool. So Jesus didn't only die for your eternal life alone, listen to this, but for all who might have it. All those who are hopefully listening today and those who maybe you'll share your faith with tomorrow. Jesus didn't die just for you. He died for the person that you're saving a seat for. Huh? Huh? Right? So, the problem with Christians today though, here we go, we always got to have a problem to solve. (laughs) <laughs> the problem with Christians today is we want to be saved from those trials. We want to be saved from those tribulations. We don't want any pain or grief. And when the pain and grief and crisis come, that's usually when we begin to question God. You know, it was, I, I'll be perfectly honest, when Malachi had, had passed away, it was, had all kinds of questions in my mind. God, you could have stopped that. You could have healed that. You could have, could have, could have, could have, right? And then you hear somebody else and, and, and you're so glad that, that somebody else, their, their child got better. And you're like, praise God. And then you're sitting there like, why not mine? See, that's what the devil wants you to play around with. He wants you to chase after these, these, these thoughts. And here's the thing is that Jesus died on the cross so that my son's sins could be paid for. He raised from the dead so that salvation could be provided if my son would believe. My son believed when he died. He just fast-tracked. He found the shortcut to heaven. That's what it was. And if anybody was going to do it, it would have been Malachi. Right? You see, the problem is that we have such a bad perspective Pain and grief and sorrow and just be honest, all the crap we have to deal with, that's a part of life. Sometimes we just have to grow up and realize that that is a part of the life. That's the world we live in. We live in a messed up world right now, but Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He died for our sins. He raised from the dead. He conquered death. So now that's what we get to worship. We get to worship and we get to prepare for that. We often, so often miss the whole point. We often so miss the point. It's about eternal life, not a temporary life. So, sermon title, that was the introduction, guys. So now the... (laughs) All of you are like, oh man. No, (laughs) it is the sermon title, but... But um, actually, I really wanted to set the stage for the sermon. The, 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 the middle part's shorter than the, the beginning part. But dying words of a living man. And I need to make sure that you understand that I do not believe in one moment that any of the words of Jesus are dead or not powerful. I, don't believe, I believe that the word of God by Hebrews 4.12 says is living and active. 
But I do want to show you, I have a point of why I'm saying the dying words of a living man. I know that Jesus is alive, but he gave us all a command that's not doing so well. We're not being so faithful to one of his major, his last words, in fact. So here's the thing. When we start thinking about last words, right? So I want you to, for a moment, just think of if you only had, right, if you only had one week left and you knew it, I have one week, and in one week from today, I'm going to just die. I'm gonna, that it's going to be my last day, so I know that my last day is one week. Would your words for the next week mean more to you than ever before? How many of you would agree that they would mean more to you than ever before? If you knew that you were dying on your deathbed and you, you would want your family to be there, right? You would want them to show up. You would want them to come. And you would want to impart some last word of wisdom. You would want to share with them. You would want to encourage them. You, I, what I, I pray for that moment is that, that I'll know it's coming so I can bring all my children into that room and say, guys, I'm not afraid. I'm ready to go be with Jesus. I'm ready to go see my son. I'm ready. See, that's what I want to tell my kids. I want to tell them it's going to be okay. I want to impart, I want to show them what a man of faith dies like. That's what I want. And that's, if anybody's being honest, that's what they would want. So when you think about the final words, the final words, if you know these are your last words, they're important. Then why would Jesus' final words not be any less like that? If you already know that your last words would be the most important words of your life, why wouldn't you think that Jesus also had some of the most important words to share, the last words? And if we don't think that he's all-knowing and that he's, he, he, he doesn't, man, him being all-knowing, he knows. That these are, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about to ascend up here. Here's my final instructions, right? Why wouldn't that be important? It is, and it should, be, it should be the absolute mission and mantra that we're living by. It should be our code. It should be everything to us. The final words of our Savior should mean something to us. These were his final words. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore go. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and lo, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. That's the last words of our Savior. Those are the words that we should be living by. The first thing that he says is authority in Greek. It's exousia. And it means power or ability to do something. In other words, the Father had given him the right and the power to do whatever he needed to do for this kingdom. What Jesus is telling all of us is I have all the authority that you need to carry out this mission. I have the right to tell you to go and I have the power to see you through the going. Come on, come on. You see, that's who our commander-in-chief is. My commander-in-chief is Jesus, and he said to go. And he says he has all the right to tell me to go, and he has all the power to see me through all of my going. The next thing, I like to say it like this, as you go. It's not just a one-time 
go one time, go on a mission trip. This is as you live your life, you're going. You're going to the store, you're going to the restaurant. Hey, how many of you guys are going to the restaurant after this? Okay, which one? I'll, I'll meet you there. Save me a seat. Save me a seat. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, though. So we, we, went to the, we went to a restaurant this last week, and uh, a waitress, she was, she's just so nice. She was smiling the whole time. I invited her. I was hoping to see her. She didn't come this week, but we, we were working on her. But she smiled. She was so pleasant. I'm like, okay, do you go to church anywhere? You just seem like a Christian because you just got this amazing smile. And she goes, really? She goes, yes. I go to, and she was telling me. And so then I said, you know what? I'm not going to, I want to invite you to church, but I don't want you to leave the church you're at because if you show up here, you're not going to want to go back. So, I mean, here's the thing is that, you know, like you're going to be loved to death if you show up here. So, but it was just so neat to be able to, to just share, you know, you see somebody and you're looking, I'm looking for Christ. Like I see somebody in their smile. I'm like, is Christ in that smile? Then I ask them, do you know Jesus? Because <laughs> if you don't, I want to introduce you because you have a great smile and it'll even make it better. You know, I mean, here's the thing is, is that, man, you know, so, so as you go, as you go to the restaurant, as you go to the grocery store, as you go to Walmart, as you go to work, wherever you're going, because your whole life is going, you're on mission all the time. You see the job that you're paying your bills with? That's not the primary thing. God planted you in a job so that you could send out the great commission from that job. The job is not your primary source. That's not the, the main thing in your life. That's not the kingdom you're building. You're building an eternal kingdom. That's just a place that you're going to. That's your recruiting grounds. Come on now. That's just the recruiting grounds. So it says, as you go, you make disciples. You baptize them. Teach them to obey. I love it. And surely I am. You know what's so amazing about this? And I did this. I missed it every time until this week. And I highlighted it. He used his I am statement and I missed it. All the times that I, every time I preach, this is my favorite passage. One of my, one of my, all of them are my favorites. I don't know why I say that. All of them are my favorite. But I love preaching on the Great Commission, and I've, this was the first week I ever caught it. He used his I am statement. The great I am is with you. Go. The I am is with you. Come on. As you go, the great I am is with you when you go. Man, there's, that is, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was doing like my little happy Jesus dance, you know. The girls call it the Yoder dance, you know, when I do this. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus, oh, yeah. So anyways, so that's just to get you ready for the prom. All right, come on now. All right. So, all right. So we're having an adult prom. <laughs> it's got to be great. So anyways, okay. So, so then why do I use the title? Why the dying words of a living man? See, why? Why would I use this title? Okay. Jesus' final words to his disciples were a command, not just for them who were there, not just his first century disciples, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that command was for you too. And see, the problem is somewhere along the way, the, the, the church has lost its mission. Somewhere along the way, Christians have lost their mission of what this is all about. We, found, we went to a, a, a pastor's conference, a couple me, me and a couple of the pastors, and one of the churches that they were talking about that, that, that needed help, had not baptized someone in 16 years. 16 years? Are you kidding me? 
16 years? That didn't bother you? That didn't make the church members just throw up their hands and say, something's got to change? You didn't put water in that baptismal for 16 years? Shut your doors and let somebody else do it then. You see, churches have lost their mission. We have 3,700 churches in America shut down every year during COVID. It went up to 4,200. We were scared of the flu. And I'm not trying to be insensitive because I know that a lot of people lost their lives to COVID. And I do not want to be insensitive at all. A lot of people die from the regular flu too. People die from cancer every day. People die from the flu. They, they, they die from every known disease. They die in car wrecks. You don't shut a church down. You don't shut the gospel down because of the cold or a flu or cancer or anything else. You keep preaching the word of God. You find another way then. You do it in the parking lot. You do whatever you've got to do, but you never stop preaching the gospel. So here's something for you. 40% of unchurched. So when you see the word unchurched, okay, the unchurched means people who don't go to church. It, it, they may be thinking they're saved. They may be saved, but they're just people who don't attend church. So when you see that word, it's the, your friends and your neighbors that don't attend church on a regular basis. This is talking about them. There was a really cool study that did about how they felt about their Christian friends. 40% of unchurched people say that a Christian has never explained to them how to become a Christian. 40%. And they're talking about like these are, these are people who have Christian friends. 40% had never heard how to become a Christian from their Christian friends. The majority of unchurched people say that they were willing that they are willing to have a conversation about religious beliefs. The majority, the vast majority of them said, I'd have a conversation. <laughs> Especially if they saw the Christian publicly living what they proclaimed. Hmm? 66% hmm? of the unchurched have Christian friends that they regularly interact with. 33% of the church friends or unchurched say that they admire, they admire a third of these lost people admire the faith of their Christian friends. Admire it. I want what you've got. But the people who've got it don't share it. 79% of unchurched people don't mind if their Christian friends talk about their faith then what are we so afraid of? So another study came out and talked. They asked Christians a couple of questions. Christians were asked how often they discuss their beliefs with others who share the same belief. How, how often does a Christian share their beliefs with other Christians? 50% said all the time. Half of Christians say all the time I'm talking about my faith with others. And another 30% of that is most of the time. That's 80% of Christians talk about their faith. Often. Then they were asked how often they discuss their beliefs with others who don't share the same belief. Four percent. Four. Four. We wonder why churches are shutting down. It's not because the gospel's not always being preached. It's because people aren't sharing their faith. Ten percent said most of the time or some of the time. That's not good. So then they were asked, what prevents you from sharing 22% of them said fear. Fear was the reason. I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid to share my faith with my lost friend who's going to hell. Get over it. I'm, I'm just be honest. Get over it. If your faith can't overcome that fear, I want you to think what's on the line. What's on the line is hell. Hell is on the line. Get over that fear. My best friend from high school was, was Jared Reeves. Where's he at? Took that guy fishing all the time. And I would start sharing my faith. He would get mad at me and would, I'm not your friend anymore. Get me to the beach or get me off, get me off this boat. I'm like, I'm sorry. We're, we're fishing, man. We're fishing. You're with me. And I knew he was scared of the water because I told him there were snakes in it. He's not going nowhere. You're with me for another hour, buddy, and you're going to hear all about Jesus. He wouldn't talk to me for three months, and then I'd say, hey, Jared, you want to go fishing? And he said yes three times, and then he got saved. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> like, I loved my friend enough for my friend not to like me at times. I wasn't afraid of him not liking me. I was afraid that he would go to hell if I didn't say something. When your fear of the, your friends going to hell begins to be stronger than your faith, that's where we're going to start moving something. That's when something's going to start happening in our lives. I wish we were more afraid of our friends going to hell than if they got mad at us. 17% said that they had a lack of opportunity. Bologna. For the others that didn't get that, that's baloney. Some of them said nothing was stopping them. At least they're being honest. They felt, 10% felt inadequate. Okay, how many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that He died on the cross for your sins? How many of you believe that He was buried in a tomb and raised on the third day? How many of you have made Him the Lord of your life? Then you know enough. See, the first part of that was make disciples, not teaching them. The third part was teaching them. If you don't say, I don't know enough to teach them, then bring them to church. But you know enough to get them saved. Come on. You know enough. Some of them were a lack of interest in, in the, the, from others. They, they, they weren't interested in what they had. Jared wasn't interested either. <laughs> you weren't, were you? You're like, I don't want to hear this stuff. Stop talking about it. I wore them down. <laughs> Rejection. People were afraid of being rejected. <clears throat> and the last one was too busy to share. Come on now. Too busy to care is what I heard. Too busy to care. I'm too busy to care about the salvation, the eternal life. Remember, that's what it's all about, my friends. <clears throat> Before I come to the last slide, that's my way of saying you know, conclusion. <clears throat> I want to share something with you. Last week, like, we, Living Water started with like 32 people. I remember 32 people signed a charter, you know, that says we're going to do this. I think only one that signed that charter is still here, and he's back in the sound booth. He makes sure all my electronic stuff works. Um, but I remember starting with like 30 people. And I, was, and I was just like, Lord, I just really want to see, like, people get saved. And, you know, Lord, it would be really awesome if we would, you know, maybe be able to reach 100 people. You know, that would be really cool, Lord. You know, like, a lot of times in our lives we have, like, 
good things, but then God has a God thing that he wants to do. And I have received so many phone calls last week like, congratulations, pastor. We, we filled up the, the, the room you just got done in the first day. You know, the first service, we're already filled up. And, and so, yes, praise God. Praise God for that. But so I got all these messages, and I'm like, no, that wasn't congratulations to me. That's a congratulations to living water because you guys invited your friends. You share your faith. Salvations don't happen just because of a sermon. It's because somebody invited them. Somebody's been working on them. Somebody's been dragging them along. Somebody, you see, everybody gets saved because of somebody, and it's not usually the pastor. A lot of times it's a Sunday school teacher. I can't tell you how many kids tell me a story about their Sunday school teacher leading them to Christ. Which leads me to my next point. Guys, we need Sunday school teachers. <laughs> Come on, that was a good one. That was a good one, right? How many of you are now like, I want to be a Sunday school teacher. I want to lead a kid to Christ. I mean, that's, I mean, right? Sign up. I'm just telling you. So, so what do we do? What do we do from here? So this is our last slide, okay? This is it. What do I do? You know, I'm hoping that you, you kind of see the need for this. Well, where do we go from here is this. Number one, first, you're going to pray. A lot of people get ahead of prayer. You know, I don't know why, because prayer is, you know, prayer is seeking the hand of God. Evangelism is just gathering the results of your prayer. Oh, that's good. You might want to write that one down. I won't remember it in five minutes. I mean, really think about it. Prayer is fighting the battle before the battle shows up. So what, what do I mean by prayer? Here's what I want. I want you to pray for your unchurched friends and neighbors. I really got to move a long ways to catch up with myself. I want you to pray for your, your unchurched friends, acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors. That's what I want you to do. I want you to begin. I want you to make a list of them. Because here's what we're going to do is we're going to start keeping track of answered prayer on this. All right? I want you to write them down, and I want you to pray for them. And I'm not, not like, God, change the attitude of my neighbor. He's kind of a jerk. No, no, no. I'm talking like, God, begin working in this person's life. Okay? Secondly, pray that God will give you an opportunity. Because if you start praying for an opportunity, you'll start seeing the opportunity. And pray for boldness. The first century believers were afraid too. But you know what? The worst thing that we have that's going to happen to us is being rejected. They actually could have been killed. Their fear is a little bit more legitimate than ours. Can't we be honest? So, I want you to pray for boldness that you will. And then the number two is this. Seize the opportunity. Take it. When you see an opportunity... Like, I like sitting at a restaurant and watching my, my waitress, because I always like teasing them really good, too, because usually they like to be, you know, like, I always like being teased anyways. Well, maybe you don't like to. But anyways, I like, you know, tease and joke around. I'm, like, I'm going to leave you a good tip. Just have to tolerate me for a little while. My wife's like, he doesn't tip me, but I have to tolerate him all the time. But, you know, so, but, you know, and then, then I'm always looking for that opportunity, because if, if I can get them to kind of like me maybe a little bit, then maybe I can invite them to be a part of something amazing, life-changing, Right? Everyone can do that. You have a neighbor that, that, you, that may be just waiting for you to invite them to church. See, a lot of times, unchurched people don't just show up. They're waiting for somebody to invite them. 
Take that opportunity when it comes. Ask if they, so maybe you're like, well, how do, what do I say? Well, here's a couple of just little easy things. Ask them if they attend church anywhere. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? I say that all the time. That's the guys back there saying, Daniel, <laughs> five-minute call. Your, your time's running out. So, you know, ask them if they attend church. Ask them what their church background is. Hey, do you have any church background? You know, like, were you raised in church? Most people will talk about VBS when they were a kid, and, and, and hey, I went to church camp when I was younger, those types of things. People will talk about, that's how you get it started. Ask a question. Get a conversation started. My grandpa was the best at that. My grandpa could start a conversation with anybody. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about Jesus five minutes later, and you're just giving a hug and getting prayed over before you know it. You're like, I think I just got saved, and I already was preaching. I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, come on now. You know, just get a conversation started. The third thing, invite them. How many times we'll tell them about our faith, we'll tell them how much we love Jesus, and then we will never invite them. This church will never stop inviting people to an altar. Never. So the thing is, is this. If we're not going to do that, then make sure that you invite someone. It doesn't always, it's not always about inviting them to church. Invite them to Christ. Invite them over to your house. Invite them to a barbecue. Say, hey, if you go to church with me, I'll take you out to eat. That works all the time. I'm telling you, that works. I'm like, listen, if you'll just come to church with me, because it's like a bring your friend to church day. If you'll come with me, I'll take you out to eat. And then all of a sudden they get done and they're like, McDonald's, here we go. Dollar menu, guys, just dollar menu, dollar menu. When you got like, you know, when you got, when you're Mennonite and you've got like, you know, a lot of kids, right? Or this guy, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So, six kids were like, dollar menu, hot dogs for all of you guys, and a steak. No, so, and invite them to church. If you don't know what else to do, invite them to church. Invite them. And I, you know what? I, I used to love getting. I would get these messages a lot. I would get them all the time, and somebody would be like, "Hey, pastor, I'm invited. I invited. They're coming. I have a lost friend that's coming." Like, okay. I made a mental note of that and made sure that I went sprinkled an extra bit of gospel in that sermon no matter what I was talking about. We could have been talking about the law and man, we're going to get the gospel right over here. You know, I mean, you know, don't be afraid to do that. So let me get to this then. We know that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins for your sins and for the sins of your friends and your unchurched friends and everyone. He died for the world. That's what, He died for the world. He rose from the dead to conquer death so that we could have eternal life. So if you'd bow your heads and you'd close your eyes, the most important thing I could ever invite you to is to Christ. The most powerful thing in the entire world. God Almighty wants to have a relationship with you. Today, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, so your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, don't worry about anybody else. This is just for you. If you want to have a relationship with Him today, and you would like to be forgiven of your sins and turn your life over to Him, 
Just slip your hand up in the air. Is there anybody here today that says, I want to give my life to Jesus? All right, praise God. So we're all going to pray this together. We're a family. The prayer is not the key, it's your heart. If you mean these words. So repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried and that you rose on that third day. I know that I have sinned and I have fallen short of your glory. And I know that I need your forgiveness. So I ask for it now. Please forgive me. Take my sin from me. Help me overcome it. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender to you. I want to follow you. 